This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest, Irene Lee, runs her Boston restaurant, Maymay, in a way that bears watching. Social justice is part of its fabric. Radical transparency is its hallmark. Irene makes the case that restaurants can build new models for employment and management. What she's doing is fascinating, and she's looking to save restaurants beyond just her own. Irene also leads us to fried clams, tuna melts, and Boston's most beloved Ethiopian-Jamaican vegan food. We're back Monday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Irene. Irene, hi. Hi, how's it going? It's going okay. Um, You've been busy. It's been fun watching you. It's also been really uplifting. I I like the way you do things. I like your openness. I like your insistence on transparency. Um, I want to start with something you posted on your Instagram a few weeks ago that read to me like um, a college professor almost saying like, my office doors are open for all my students. You basically concluded a message about wanting to support the people who work for you, but also your community, literally with the line, I'll be here all day to talk, um, which sounds like a small gesture, but to me, it's actually um, kind of a revolutionary idea. Yeah, so we wrote um, a very long letter to the team um, when this whole sort of crisis started, and we were just trying to figure out what it was that we were going to do, um, what was the right thing to do. And I think that because this was so unexpected in a lot of ways, everyone is just trying to process what's going on. And for me, we've always wanted to make um, decision-making at Maymay and sort of every aspect of how we run the business as transparent as possible so that our guests have a really good understanding of who we are and what they're paying for. And so to me, I wanted to open up an opportunity for a conversation so that we could all sort of process this really crazy thing that's happening all together. Did people take you up on your offer? Well, I talked to pretty much all of my staff that day. Um, We did phone calls and sent out some surveys to everyone. Um, So that was really valuable for me just to get to hear kind of how people were feeling and what they were most concerned about. And then I did speak to a lot of other colleagues in um, the restaurant and food service industry. And, you know, a lot of it is just all of us kind of saying like, yeah, I don't know. There's no right answer. Um, But a lot of comparing notes and it's always great to hear from other people and, you know, almost like how this podcast has been so special, especially because of what's happening now. It's like, we don't always have time to connect with each other. Um, You know, I only see other chefs when I'm like eating in their restaurants or they're eating in my restaurant. And so this was kind of a pause button. Um, And so I really wanted to make sure that we, we use this opportunity to really connect with each other. Um, Your books are open, which is an interesting thing for a restaurant to do. You have shown the public how much you make. You've done basically a line item cost analysis. You can go on Eater and and see how much your linens cost. Um, I know that in 2019, your your net income was uh, just over $22,000 a year. It's 1.8% of of your total earnings. Um, Razor, razor thin margin, right? Definitely. Why do you think it's valuable to show those numbers? And how does that kind of thing maybe help us not get into a mess like the one we're in now? 
So at Maymay, we call um, this practice open book management. And the idea is essentially that we educate the whole team so that they can understand kind of what's happening behind the curtain. And then we actually ask them to help us influence those numbers. And, you know, can you help us lower our cost of goods? Um, can you negotiate with our linens vendor um, to see if we can get cheaper towels, you know, little things things like that. And then the idea also is that they get to watch their progress over time. So every four weeks, we bring the whole team together and look at the profit and loss statement. And so this, uh, right before all of this happened, um, we did our first ever public open book event. So we basically invited everyone, um, anyone who wanted to uh, join us in person or tune in on a webinar to look at our year's P&L from 2019. And the Eater article um, was published as a companion to that. And the reason that I'm so fascinated with and obsessed with transparency is because I have always loved food and restaurants, but boy, are there a lot of things I didn't know before I opened one. And I think that, you know, had I known then what I know now, I don't know if I'd be where I am, but there's so many things that go into the operation of a restaurant that I think a lot of people just don't understand, but everyone wants to be an educated consumer, right? Everyone wants to know like the insider tips or um, the sort of little details that make different businesses unique. And so we felt like we were kind of feeding into that um, desire that consumers have to be really educated. I think it's a good idea. I mean, it's taking a step further than, you know, showing where your oysters come from or where, where, who your pork supplier is. I think it's important for people to know how a thing works um, for the thing to be valued in the right way. Absolutely. And I think what we're seeing right now is that we're not valuing food the right way. We're not valuing restaurants the right way. And that's why our industry is in such a moment of crisis. Um, one thing that I think is also really important is it creates a different dynamic between the business owner, myself, and my team. Um, if they know exactly how much I make and how much goes into my pocket at the end of the year, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's basically nothing, um, we can all kind of be on the same team in a way that, you know, if they didn't have that information, it might be hard. Um, and so for me, it really is changing the way that we think about careers in this industry and what it means to have a job. Like even our dishwashers, um, they look at the P&L with us and we ask them, you know, like, which chemicals do you use the most of? Let's negotiate on those. Um, what food waste do you see coming back into the dish pit? Um, and so really wanting to make sure that as we move this industry forward, we're valuing our people and investing in them in a way that, that helps make things more sustainable. That's always been really important to us. It's actually really interesting to be able to use people in different stations in your restaurants as reporters, essentially, who can cover different parts of the story, right? The dishwasher will see food scraps in a way that maybe a runner isn't paying attention to or a chef will never see. Absolutely. And we're now in our seventh year of the restaurant and I barely work on the line or the floor or the dish pit um, unless someone is sick and the backup is sick. And so, you know, I want to make sure that I affirm the fact that they are on the front line. They have the expertise um, and I'm really here more to support them um, and to take what they're telling me and make sure that I can make the business more successful with that information. Um, and so I think a lot of people know and a lot of chefs will say, you know, like the dishwasher is the backbone of the restaurant. Um, and so thinking about that concept, how do we make sure that the dishwasher actually feels that way and that they are included and compensated in a way that reflects that? 
As an owner operator, how much time do you spend thinking about your team and how much time do you spend thinking about yourself? I think I spend almost all my time thinking about my team. Um, I guess I have always felt like the team is a reflection of myself. Um, And so I am, you know, my personality is that I'm very influenced by other people's emotions. Um, And so if I know that someone on the team is unhappy, it's very hard for me to feel happy or satisfied. And so I think that, um, I don't know that I can answer that question with, with any numbers or anything like that, but Maymay is kind of its own organism. Um, it's not just me. It's not just them. It's it's all of us. And so the the health of the community, I think, is is sort of how I think about it, and and what I'm concentrating on the most. So when when you knew you guys were closing down, what was your plan of action? How did you start to take care of your team? Our very first plan of action was to um, speak to every staff member individually. We have 28 people on staff, um, so smaller than a lot of the restaurant groups that folks are hearing about in the news. And we asked a pretty specific set of questions around um, what folks' concerns are, um, what kind of health issues they might want to share with us or they want us to know about, if they feel like they have, sorry, if they feel like they have access to the healthcare that they need or that they might need. And we also ask people, you know, how much money do you need to get through this? Um, What are your non-negotiable expenses? And we will figure out how to meet those for you. And to me, that was really important because everyone on our team comes from a pretty different background, right? And we all have different financial pressures, um, different debts, things like that. And as much as you want an equal approach that's sort of one size fits all, we know that in order to be equitable, we have to be taking into account where everybody's coming from and the different situations that they're in. And so it was important to present, you know, first a kind of um, uniform front to say like, we care about you, we're going to take care of you, and we'll get through this together. And then to also say, like, we're willing to work with each of you on an individualized basis to make sure that, you know, that you've got what you need to get through this. I think this is the first time I've, I've heard of that kind of strategy, the one-on-one meeting where you're collecting data and you end up with this stack of paper that represents what everybody needs. You have it written down, yeah. you can address it, you can use it as a checklist. You should post those forms, not the filled out ones, but just the, I feel like we need all these disaster playbooks after, after this and like going through all the steps from how to, how to break the news to how to reopen, like all, you know, the A to Z of it all. Absolutely. And I will make sure that I give credit where it's due, which is to my team, um, because they're all saying, you know, okay, I I still need a couple hours, but I want to know I want to know who else really needs the hours um, because if this money can go to someone who needs it more than I do, that's what I want. Um, We have an incredible group of folks who are pretty self-sacrificing. And like I said, who come from all different kinds of financial situations and backgrounds. And so they were saying to me, like, it's important for us to understand where everyone is right now. And so uh, in sending out the survey and processing all the responses, um, I was just kind of trying to meet, you know, their demand that we be really um, individually focused at this time. So you guys really kind of have the soul of a collective. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
in a lot of ways, um, we are kind of the anti-restaurant. Um, that is what a lot of uh, cooks who have come through our kitchen have said. Um, sometimes they mean it as a compliment and sometimes they don't. Um, but I think that we are a, a group of people who mostly are working in restaurants um, by choice. And that isn't necessarily representative of, of people in our industry at large. And so I think everyone who's at Maymay is really trying to think about what can a restaurant be? Um, can we reimagine, you know, how hospitality works and how we build relationships around food? And so we are fortunate um, to have created a, a team that is very um, collectively sort of minded. What's formed your management style? From from what I understand, you know, this wasn't necessarily the path you thought you were going to take as, as a student and, and growing up, and it's kind of been a surprise to you, but one you've really excelled at. Well, yeah, we started our food truck in 2012, and I was actually just taking time off from school, kind of dabbling in home cooking, and, and we decided to sort of take a leap and see what happened. And I think that... In the years since then, I've sort of seen my focus uh, come full circle in that in college, I was really interested in social issues and social inequality. And I've actually found, you know, that restaurants are a place where those are big things um, and seeking to address them is really important. And I always sort of say, you know, if there's no may in 10 or 20 years, like that's fine. And maybe that's what happens. But if there are no cool, independent, uh, sort of mom and pop, zany, weird restaurants, I'm going to be really pissed off um, because I love eating at restaurants. Owning one is so-so. But I just want that our industry to be one that really is sustainable in all those senses of the word so that when I'm old, I don't have to eat, you know, Chipotle and Sweetgreen every day. What do you feel like, um, you know, is your responsibility in, in perpetuating the existence of these sorts of restaurants now? Well, in terms of perpetuating these restaurants, I think that we are trying to build kind of a model for employment that we think is going to keep attracting people to the restaurant industry and really make it jobs and careers that they can stay in. Um, you hear so many older cooks talking about like, yeah, I love the restaurant and I gave it my all. And then I had to get out, you know, for my own sanity, for my family, X, Y, or Z. Um, could we make it so that those people could actually stay in the industry and keep doing what they love and what they're really good at? And I think that you know, I come from, you know, a family um, that was able to financially support me through college. Um, I had everything I needed as a kid growing up. I was highly enriched. And so, you know, for me, the thought that I would run a mediocre restaurant with mediocre labor practices uh, seems like a terrible waste. And so I really feel like we have a responsibility to be experimenting and to be taking risks. Um, at the same time, we also think a lot about immigrant-owned restaurants, um, the sort of mom-and-pop places that don't maybe get a ton of media attention, that don't have big PR firms. And this is a time when I am really worried about those businesses. Um, we did start a campaign uh, called Unsung Restaurants on GoFundMe, and so far we've raised a little over $10,000 that is going to get diverted to different small businesses around Boston, um, many of which are really not present on social media or the internet. Um, and so that's kind of our effort to say, we love how much people are coming out of the woodwork to support restaurant workers. And let's make sure we don't forget those who are the most vulnerable. Um, and I think that, you know, 
those holes in the wall or those spots that are open at midnight, those are places that are really near and dear to cooks um, and where people get a lot of their inspiration, I think, and maybe experience different cuisines for the first time. And so that is actually such a rich part of the restaurant fabric, um, but it's not getting a ton of attention right now. And so we're, we're trying to address that in, albeit a very small way. Can we just talk about some of those restaurants in Boston who you're focusing on? Like, where do you love to go post-shift? What kinds of places are we talking about? One of the places that I really love that we have talked about um, and raised some money for is called the Busy Bee. Um, it's a diner right around the corner from May May. They do an insane fried clam plate on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, they have an awesome tuna melt and their prices are like from the early 90s. So <laughs> everything about it is really beautiful. Um, and that's the sort of place that, you know, they don't have a website. Um, they are not on DoorDash or Uber Eats. They don't even take credit cards. So, you know, we want to make sure that that place reopens. Um, in addition to that, you know, Boston is fairly segregated um, by, by race and ethnic background. And so there are tons of restaurants in primarily, um, you know, Black and Latino neighborhoods that are huge sort of pillars of their communities, but don't, again, have a ton of visibility um, in sort of the greater Boston community. So Oasis uh, Vegan Veggie Parlor is one of the most awesome restaurants in Boston. Um, it's this guy, Jarif, and his wife, Nadra, um, and they cook sort of Ethiopian, Jamaican, inflected vegan food, and they are so loved by vegans all over the greater Boston area. Um, and so raising money for them was really exciting because we know that these are people that are so well-loved and that don't have access necessarily to traditional methods of getting support. And, you know, let me just say, I applied for the PPP, I've applied for different grants, and I'm college educated, and I speak English as a first language, and it's still one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and so the idea that there are people who don't have the level of support that I do trying to go through these processes um, is really heartbreaking. Uh, and so, you know, anything we can do to sort of share the wealth and, and spread that around, we're always really excited about. And that was something that my team was pretty passionate about too. Um, everybody sort of came out of the woodwork and said like, oh, I love these spots. We should get them on the list. We should call them. Um, and so a lot of what I do, I think that's community oriented, that's not necessarily specifically about Maymay. It is still part of the Maymay community and the Maymay brand and, and really wanting to be a business that people are proud to work for and support. It's nice that you're, you have that awareness and that you're looking out for those those other kinds of restaurants i know you were telling me may may means means little sister and it's kind of nice to think of everyone as a family in that way absolutely and i will say that you know we came into the industry with very little experience um, in terms of operating a restaurant. My brother had worked in the front of house for many years, but we were so warmly welcomed by the restaurant community in Boston, by the existing food truck community. And so a lot of that is just about paying it forward um, because we are in a relatively stable position right now. And so we should be taking every advantage of that opportunity to, to do what we can for others. We're almost two months into the COVID-19 shutdown. Have you started thinking about a reopening plan and, and what it might look like? I know you guys have been have been making food, but uh, as, as capacity, as there's more demand, maybe as places are legally allowed to open their doors, what's Maymay going to look like? Such a great question. And, and we're, we are thinking and talking about this every day. 
we have a pretty small dining room. Um, we have about 36 seats. And so I would say there is a possibility that our dining room um, reopens on an extremely limited basis or maybe even not at all. Um, I don't know if we're going to become like a catering company grocery store uh, or a delivery service or, you know, a ghost kitchen. Um, I think that all options are on the table. <laughs> and so we're really trying to um, discover what our community needs most from us and therefore what we can be most successful doing. Um, and I'll also say that, you know, it's this real sort of trippy situation to be focused so much on the immediate and on kind of emergency uh, action and also to think it about the long term, like where are we going to be in six months? And so I try to be really conscientious about making room for both of those issues. Um, but a lot of what we're doing is about emergency response. Um, so we're, we're doing some work now to feed healthcare workers, um, especially at community health sites in different um, neighborhoods. And we're hoping to pilot a program next week that's going to provide groceries um, and other essentials to undocumented workers um, and also support people who are doing that in a grassroots method already um, and so as much as I get excited about thinking about reopening I know that there's like so much going on right now that you know demands our attention and that's been one of the really challenging things about this. Do you think you'll remain connected to the community in the ways that you are now? I know for a lot of restaurants and operators now who are serving first you know, first-line responders and the elderly. Um, there are things that they weren't doing before, but there are things that people are thinking about. We should probably continue these relationships. A restaurant shouldn't just be what we thought a restaurant was. Absolutely. It's all about reimagining what a restaurant can be. And I think that, you know, a lot of folks have sort of said, this is an opportunity to show your community who you are. Um, and what you care about. And so we definitely are trying to do that um, to demonstrate our values through the choices that we're making. And I love seeing so many businesses doing that. Um, it's super inspiring. And I also think, you know, as we are relying more and more on takeout and delivery um, and providing kind of less of the restaurant experience from inside the restaurant, like, yeah, we need to do more to differentiate ourselves, um, to really show what the brand is about. Um, because I think in six months, diners are going to be able to have a pretty identical like ordering experience from 50 different restaurants in the Boston area. And so we do want to be top of mind um, and we do want to be really in touch with the community. And I think that our, our success is going to depend on that. Well, on top of having a lot of integrity and, and radical transparency in your accounting, you also have scallion pancake sandwiches. So I, I, think, I think you have that differentiating uh, mark. Yep. Yeah. We're, uh, we're looking forward to getting those back on the menu. We've been selling uh, like sandwich making and dumpling making kits. Um, so we love seeing people cook at home and um, yeah, you know, getting to be creative about how we interact with guests and the services we offer them has, has been one of the sort of bright spots in all of this um, because the team is just, they're so creative and they've come up with a lot of really fun stuff. Irene, our show is called Takeaway Only. I'm wondering what your big takeaway is from living through this experience as, as a leader, as a restaurant owner, as an employer. I think my takeaway is that we have to do better than we have been doing. And I think that's true across the board. Um, you know, I was pretty happy with how we were performing as an employer uh, before all of this happened. And I think we still have a really long way to go. Um, this has really prompted me to think about 
healthcare, um, about mental health care, about paid time off and how we deal with all of that. Um, and so we just need to keep, I think, pushing um, and making sure that we're never satisfied, um, that we're always sort of striving more. And that is something that I think everybody does, but having an emergency like this, um, an extreme situation, I think really drives home that, that preparedness matters. I'm excited to watch what you come up with. And I know it'll be public and it'll be documented for everybody to see. So I, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Howie. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That was Irene Lee. You can follow her on Instagram at Irene Xiang Lee. And you can follow Maymay at Maymay Boston. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, Charlotte Druckmann, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back Monday. This is Takeaway Only. Takeaway Only.